Hello, welcome back to another week of the European Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here on Mayo Media Network with my man Tom Jacobs. Tom, how's it going? I've survived the week. I uh, I am now stuck at home for eight days, so um, can consume a lot of golf this week. Um, I will probably have even more hot takes by Wednesday when I've decided to dive in even further than we already have. Uh, probably talk myself in and out of things a lot, so don't listen to me too much this week, I think, uh, is... <laughs> Is, well, this part listen to, but uh, don't listen to the parts afterwards because I'll probably uh, confuse myself. But uh, no, pretty well good. It was, uh, you know, it was an exciting week, wasn't it, last week to see another first time winner on the European Tour. Uh, feels like it was, I'd say, coming. I think he's been playing pretty well most of the season. Um, I do wonder with players like that whether, like, what their upside is because... I think he's a slightly limited skill set. It's not something where you think he can get really hot with his irons, get really hot for tee. He's kind of very, very good around and on the greens. And, um, you know, it takes a good week like he had with the irons last week to, to really get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. No, that was a, a wild week in the sense of the wave split that happened that kind of ruled out almost half of the field. And then to see the birdie barrage that came out on Saturday and Sunday that really got you know, a lot of more people into the mix. You know, I thought Callum Hill was going to kind of run away with it at one point. Um, of course, came back to the field. I thought Tario had a chance to, to make a, a leap to the European tour. I was excited for him. And then I really thought Chase Hanna was going to do it for us because his irons were best in the field once again. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about him later on. But my favorite thing um, of the week across golf, I guess there's two, two of them. We'll start. Um, Robert McIntyre has now clinched his special temporary membership, which means Means he's into the Wyndham uh, Championship this week and gives himself a shot at a tour card. A good finish, a strong finish this week. Sees Bob McIntyre, you know, teeing it up on the PGA Tour as a full-time member next season. If not, we'll likely see him at the Corn Ferry Tour Finals that are right around the corner. And it's still up in the air if Guido is going to join him on the Corn Ferry Tour Finals and give a run at getting his tour card as well. It's been, you know, two weeks since we've seen Guido, so I feel like I needed to name drop him early on. <laughs> um, but my favorite thing that did happen last week, um, for those that follow on Twitter along with one of our, our close, I feel like, Alex allies across the the sport of golf monday q um on the bag for mark baldwin for those who don't know have his t-shirt on right here you know four spots one dream mark baldwin did that exact thing last week monday qualifying blindly into uh the barracuda where he finished 34th last week and it was just really cool scenes um you know ryan posted quite a bit uh, monday q on his twitter about that mark was uh very embracing of the support so that was uh really fun to follow those guys and of course wish then the best of luck as the season continues on. But let's dive in to this week what we have ahead. And again, we're at the Kazoo Classic. Don't be confused with the Kazoo Open that just happened about three weeks ago. You know, this one, I guess, is not sponsored by Gareth Bale. We can separate by those two. We'll be teeing up at the, the London, which is hasn't been seen, what, since almost a decade ago, right? The last time. So it's the... The European Open, which is, is a bit of a strict, bit misleading name, but 2009, 2008, it was actually the first golf event I ever attended. It was when Ross Fisher won there. Uh, my dad points me towards someone that he told me was Rory McIlroy, and it was actually just a young lad from the clubhouse who had no idea why I was asking for his autograph. And he still to this day says it was a mistake. I think he set me up. I was only, <laughs> I don't know how old I was, 13. I had no idea what I was really looking into. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm not bitter about that, you know, all these years on. Um, it is just down the road from me, um, and I was planning on going, but uh, unfortunately, 
pandemic, here I am. So um, look, it's a course that it's really hard now to get to grips with what it is that's going to succeed because when we think about Ross Fisher and in his early days, his skill set was is bombing off the tee, right? And and that week he won by a, certain, a decent amount of strokes, seven strokes, and he bombed his way around that golf course. Didn't care about all the hazards everyone was playing against from the practice rounds, um, and really just powered his way to performance. The trouble with that is now is that he is not a bomber. He is, you know, he is he's still decently long, but it's kind of the baseline and. I think that brings an awful lot of players back into the field. I think that you're probably going to have to be tidy around the greens. I think there's going to be a decent score without it getting into the twenties. I think we, I, I, I don't know really what to guess, but early double digits under par would be good. Um, I do think that accuracy will help, um, which I think that we're generally looking at anyway in our players. So I don't think we need to worry too much about that. Um, I tended to look at people that have just played well in England in general. Um, but one of the conversations which is on the podcast is that that can mislead you because we just had um, another Kent golf course and, and it was, you know, by the coast and now we're going to be playing the Parkland track. So it can be misleading. Um, but I think that we've generally got a decent grip on it. I think there's a, an awful lot of value in in the range that where most of our pits come from um, because there is a couple of short price uh, leaders in the market. Yeah. And I, I think we can kind of start right there. Um, you know, as we look, Burned is coming over. Um, haven't seen him since, I guess, the Open Championship yeah. um, on this side of the golf. But a deserving favorite. I think the best odds available for him is 14 to 1. Um, I know our friend Ben Coley made a strong argument. Um, some of those deeper odds that were available for Burned at Open was, was well worth investing because I, I think he is substantially, and he is priced that way, better than the top of the market. Um, he is somebody who can show up and, and put the lights out and beat anybody. We loved his recent form leading into the open championship, leading into the Scottish. Um, so deserving there from where we're structuring it. Like we mentioned, we align on a lot of picks actually this week. Um, so I'll take back that statement. You open the podcast with and, and make sure you listen to everything that Tom says, because <laughs> our cards are basically aligned this week, but, um, yeah, I'm not going to find myself betting burn. I think the, the much easier way to go after him is only at $10,800 on DraftKings. He seems by far the best play up top there, but betting wise, I'm okay skipping. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that, and I'm the same with Sullivan as well as Sullivan, as we always sport, uh, speak about with him, it has the potential to go and win uh, an event, just like Rosh Hashanah did here in 2008, you know, he can just tear away from the field loves playing in England um as as you'd expect him to um you know his last kind of five starts in the country 26th sixth third ninth first and there's another couple of top tens before that as well so he does come to the four um but it's basically a new golf course for almost the entire field um and it's the guys that have played it as well are, are probably going to see a different test you know than they did you know 10 15 years ago so it's it really, I th- I found it quite hard to get to grips with what you know what I wanted to see from the golf course. I think I just generally went down uh, my general formula of, of current form and um, you know irons is just massive. I think that anytime you're not sure what is required, um, get yourself down the iron route. You can't really go wrong. Um, gets you out of a lot of trouble. And if the guys are good around the greens as well, that's a, a strong bonus. Yeah, I think that's 
ultimately I kind of looked at, a, of course, recent form kind of pedigree and what we know of these guys and maybe some of the lower tours that they've played on. And I, I love uh, kind of a birdie making, you know, spree that they've been on. I think a good amount of these mid range golfers have some similar tendencies and form to them. And it's easy to pile up where our betting card is. I was tempted up top here. Um, you know, if I wasn't so um, kind of quantity wise in, in the mid range, I mean, Kawamura's T degree yeah. game is, is just Same. next level right now. Yeah. You know, he shot plus one in, in the first day. And then, you know, he, he was inside the cut line with ease, had a great weekend. Um, and he's continued some excellent T to green form. Um, the, the other two that stood out to me, I mean, Vincent Norman, I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he's done to start his career. It's crazy, isn't it? Re- realistically. I mean, I mean, this is, as much as I mean, like Wolf made the jump, and of course it's PGA Tour European Tour, but Wolf made the jump and was like miscut, miscut, then a win. Like Norman is just racking up quality finish after quality finish, top ten, top ten, verge top ten. Like he is doing it, and his game again. If, if we're fitting what 2009 Ross Fisher was, you know, power off the tee, one of the best ball strikers we've seen, you know, distance wise, and not a bad short game. Um, seemingly at times, Vincent Norman does fit that pedigree so he was hard to leave off for me and then the third one um again the the strokes gain statistics actually came in late for um the or that would have been the isps um that came in late it wasn't available last week when we spoke but looking back it kind of pained me a little bit to see how well john catlin actually hit the ball his last time out he gained over four strokes per round t to green in those three laser down rounds that were at um, the main course at uh, ISPS. So that that was tough because I, I, I do enjoy backing John Catlin. He really did let himself down with a putter, as we saw. But, um, you know, those three I thought were interesting enough to, to make me be overweight on DraftKings, but probably not going to be, be betting any of them. The thing I like about Vincent Norman is you look back through the, the couple of leaderboards here, uh, back to 2008, 2009, there is a, a Scandinavian feel to it, even the guys that are not from Scandinavia. Um, you know, that they play well in Scandinavia. And we often talk about uh, Scandinavians playing well, like Danish and Swedish players playing well on Lynx golf courses. And, you know, this isn't a Lynx, but, it, you know, it's in Kent, it's a Parkland golf course, and and it, it just seems to be they've performed well. You know, Soren Hansen was, was up there a couple of times. Um, Peter Heblum was there. You know, th- there's guys that have just played very, very well in that thing. And, and I imagine Vincent Norman would be the same. We, we see it quite often. Um, you know, Alexander Bjork plays well in, you know, England. Marcus Kinholt plays well in England. So it it does seem to lend itself. Um, like you say, if it is what it was in 2008, 2009, then Vincent Norman's got a great profile for it. But then you look at the previous winner and it isn't the same as what Russell Fisher did. So I just think it's a, a really big open field for everybody. John Catlin obviously deserves a huge, uh, huge second look. Matthew Jordan, for me, was one that was really hard to leave out. Um, you know, he he's really showing that form that he showed last year in Nintendo in 2019, where we kind of thought he was one of the next big things. Uh, I questioned whether he could do it with all the pressure back on and the fans, and and, and it looks like he can. Um, he's playing very, very well again. So would not be surprised to see him go well, but we obviously both start our cards slightly further down. Yeah. And before we really dive into them, I always leave this for the end of the podcast and there's no reason to do that. I want to make sure I talk about 
the audio, you know, side of what we do. Mayo Media Network here, please feel free to subscribe on our YouTube rate review. That goes a very long way. But I know like many of us, we enjoy podcasts and you can find us daily fantasy sports, picks and bets, the mix. You can find our show along with others across the Mayo Media Network um, on an audio only version. So feel free to uh, subscribe to us there and listen to your commutes uh, as you go into work tomorrow morning. So um, Tom, I'll let you talk over our first golfer. Um, I expect to be very very popular. Again, we mentioned him off the top of the show, um, but you know, Chase Hanna is, is unbelievable with those irons right now. One of those ones where you, you want to see how they're going to approach the European tour. You know, we have Ben Tario, we've had Chase Hanna, we've had our guys. You, you just wonder how they're going to make the jump from challenge tour to um, European tour and even further on. And, and ISM, who are a big management company made big waves about Chase Hanna and, they start putting out the you know the really easy tweets of oh he's an American he's on European soil he's following Brooks Koepka's footsteps and you think well pump the grapes like he's 27 years of age like Brooks Koepka's a major winner let's not get out of hand but this guy is just absolutely flushing it and it's just and it's repeatable it's not just once or twice you know I imagine if you look at his challenge tour numbers um, if you could ever get hold of them they would be exactly the same. So it has been a consistent baseline of where he's at. What I liked as well, last week he was 12th in strokes gained around the green, which I said could be, you know, potentially important this week. Back-to-back top six finishes or triple uh, three straight top six finishes if you include the European Bank Open as well on the Challenge Tour. Um, there is the concern, what is it that he needs to do to get out in front and get the win? Um But I still think there's value there. I think you look at 45 and 50 to one that there was some available and you look at guys like Jordan Smith. Like, well, at this point, we know what Jordan Smith is. We know he's a very, very good iron player. We know that he throws it away. We've seen Callum Hill not throw away another chance, but he, but you know, oh, he, oh, did. he did, he did, he did, yeah. And you know, Mikko Korhonen. I did actually have him on the shortlist, but we know what type of player he is. He's had a, a very long, elongated career without many victories. Why not take the chance on the upside of someone that clearly could go on a tear? Um, you know, Rasmus Hoygaard was someone I, I, I wasn't quite sure whether I was going to include or not. But you look at his form in England, 2-6-3-1 last year, through the lockdown, he's hitting his irons better again. So, again, they're the sort of players you're looking at. And I just think that those at 45 and 40 to 1 uh, make much more appeal than they do at kind of 25s. And even like Laurie Cantor at 35s, I know I pick, on, I pick on Laurie an awful lot. And I hope he doesn't watch it because he won't like it very much. Um, but... Just I always use him as a baseline because he hasn't done it yet. And everyone's thing against Chase Hanna is, well, he hasn't won on the European Tour yet. He hasn't won that much on the Challenge Tour yet. But we can see what he can do. We can see his skill set. And that is the most important skill set in the game of golf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can echo all, all of our thoughts there. The golfer I'm going to kind of start off with, because I know we align on another golfer around the 50 to 1 range. Uh, but I'm going to talk about Will Besseling. So Will is... Um, I think a hard golfer to nail as he's consistent, but hasn't proven the consistency to the point of, you know, elite finishes. And of course, you know, knocking off a win on this stage. So, you know, Besseling's best attribute is he's a really, really good golfer off of the tee. You know, as someone, if you stretch out for him, he's going to be one of the top 10 golfers in this field. Um, and what really just intrigued me overall is, there was this wave split that we saw last week. 
if you follow closely at the, the World Invitational, the ISPS, there was another wave split. You know, last week was close to five strokes per wave. Two weeks ago, it was three strokes per wave. Vesseling has been in both of the worst sides of those draws. Um, and he made the cut at the uh, World Invitational, missing the secondary cut. Um, but he had played quite well in the worst of conditions. And then he, he did the same exact thing last week. And you can see, you know, there was only, I think like four golfers in the top 30, you know, that, that ended up being from that wrong side of the wave will being one of them. And he closed 66, 68 on the weekend. And again, small sample size here. If you're looking at the last 36 hole type of thing, but again, if you saw another golfer, if he was three strokes better, I, I really don't, or five strokes better to say, if he would have played the equal wave, you, you don't see that price on him. You know, he was getting into the range where it was 28s, 33s, kind of unbettable. I think that 50 is enough there from the underlying stats and what we know is a consistent off the tee, which I think will be a strong value this week. To me, I, I like bestling in this range. Yeah, and you know, you go back, you only got back to, I think it was um, two or three weeks, because it was open, wasn't it, where he was, you know, playing pretty well there, um, was inside the top 10 after three rounds, ended up finishing 18th. Um, you know, as you say, he finished 30th last week after being on the tough side of it, 17th not so long ago. Um, he's just, like you say, he is consistent, and it, and it does concern you the upside of maybe there isn't any upside in terms of winning yet. He's been around for quite a while, but he... Again, I've, I've just said that the strokes gain approach is the most important part of the game, but increasingly strokes gain off the tee is huge. You, you know, you've got a pick later on in the show that I imagine is built around what he did off the tee last week um, and, you know, and, and one of his better finishes. And, and it's just, it really does boil down to what you expect the course to play like. He is a very, he gains an awful lot of strokes off the tee by being very, very straight. He's going to keep setting those uh, opportunities up. And it's just a case of where he can take them, isn't it? Yeah, and that's where I think he's a really talented, consistent golfer. And I think 8,500 is a incredibly fair price on DraftKings. Um, but let's go to the next one, another one we're, we're really aligning with. And it just seems inevitable that David Law is going to get across that finish line again. I mean, his his finishes are incredible, um, you know, from a, a consistent standpoint. I feel like I wake up every Thursday, Friday with him, you know, on that first page of the leaderboard. So curious your thoughts, and you know, why we're both on him this week. Well, you talk about trending, he's gone 62nd, 41st, 35th, um, 18th, 15th, 4th. Like, it can't be a better lead-in uh, to, you know, the next step. And the the argument is, is he going to get to a too short a price? Well, he, he's, he's still kind of staying at a respectable odds, I think, you know, 50 to 1. You know, what if, if you're not happy to back a golfer in that kind of form at 50 to 1, you're basically just saying that he can't win. And I don't think... David Law is that kind of player. You know, we, we've already seen him get a victory in the past. Um, you know, he's got a good peg pedigree. Um, why why oppose him? I, I don't really understand what the reason is against him other than you want him to be 100 to 1. Well, it just, it just isn't going to happen. Like, he's in too good of a form to allow that to happen. Um, so, for me, you know, is it the, uh, the Vic Open, wasn't it, that he won on the European Tour and he won the Scottish Hydro Challenge on the, on the Challenge Tour as well. So, you know, no, they don't align to this event in any particular reason, but I really, really like David Law. I just think that he's, been, I think I put him up a couple of weeks ago and he's just been trending, you know, continuously. And that's not to say I quit him at the right time, but I think the right time is now. I don't see any any reason 
uh, to be against him. I think he's had one round over the 70 uh, mark in the last three events. So for me, he's just in great form. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough um, tough pill to swallow when we see some of these golfers. It's either you, you keep riding that form and you're going to bet it until it becomes unbettable, or you take the risk of of just letting it ride. And and that's how I felt the last couple of weeks with David Law. He was on the short list. You know, I know you bet him another week, and it made me nervous into the weekend multiple times with you know not having him on the card when it seems so obvious. So um, yeah, I'm absolutely you know, ready to jump on him. And, and I think burned gives enough value to all of these guys in the mid range that, you know, we have an opportunity to still cash in. And again, it's a healthy each way, you know, chase Hannah was a healthy each way. If he had the six, six places last week, you know, you still have that ability with these guys in the mid range. Um, I've still structured some sense of golfers that, you know, if Parkland's in the sense, I still love the off the tee capabilities that they can have. I love golfers, of course, that are still hitting greens and regulation, you know, top of the field, you know, top 25 percentile in addition to that distance, but are also making a lot of birdies. And that's Callum Shinkwin right now. Callum Shinkwin is somebody who he's just, he could be dead last one week and, and literally first round leader the next. And you wouldn't be surprised by either. Um, Shinkwin is, you know, a, a winner last year, um, at what was that? He didn't win the, the shootout. He won, um, the other Cyprus event. So that would have been, yeah, yeah. yeah, the, the, the Cyprus open, but finished fourth in the showdown the, the next week. Um, and you know, we've just seen stretches again, fourth when we had him at the kazoo open and then he goes out, misses the cut the next week, bounces back with the 20th, um, just last week. And, and that to me just, you know, is the built-in value with a golfer like Callum Shinkwin. You know, I, I bet Guido all of the time due to the upside that he possesses. And, you know, you have that ability to see him place not at a regular basis, but enough to make their value in the number. And Shinkwin's still sitting around at 55 to one. Again, incredible driver of the golf ball, birdies and bunches. Um, and that's what I'm kind of going to roll with my strategy this week. I think it fits even into later on as we go on our betting card, the next golfer and definitely my long shot but you know, three straight events where he has, you know, ball striking about one and a half strokes per round, you know, the, the previous events, even when he missed the cut, he, he did shoot a 67 in his opening round at the world invitation, a really strong ball striking. So there's just so much to see in his game and he has gotten over the line before. So I just think 55 to one is definitely enough for me to get in on. And I think he's just the perfect example of someone that takes advantage of being at home, right? I think he, he just loves playing in British golf events. And um, I don't think you can overlook that. I think that there's it's a hidden statistic. People need to feel comfortable. I don't think he's going to be the guy that goes over to Spain, that goes to Portugal and, and regularly contends. He does play well there at times. But like you say, the off-the-tee game, he's up there. As I think he's inside the top 17, 18 players on tour off the tee, and a lot of the guys ahead of him have played a lot of fewer rounds. So, um, yeah, I really like Callum Shinkwin. I think he's he's a very difficult person to get right. Um, I think he can, like you say, he's just as likely to come last or miss a cut as he is to win it. Um, but that's what you get in the upside of. But he's he's 55 to 1 because he's volatile. Otherwise, he'd be 33 to 1. Yep. Absolutely. Um, another golfer that we were both right on the fence with, I pushed you over the line is I think another popular trend you to blame if it goes wrong, please, yeah. please do. I'll, I'll feel that one. Um, but I, I feel confident in Garrett Portillas this week. 
you know, he, he is somebody, again, if we see trending factors, um, you know, his might be a little bit more recent than a, a David Law type, you know, his might stretch it out for, you know, longer than, than two events, you know, a 15th and then a 10th the last two weeks. But Porteus fits that same mold. Very, very good driver of the golf ball from an off-the-tee perspective, strokes gain-wise. And I think that's sneaky because I, I don't really view him as as that strong as he is off the tee. But again, he fits that same almost Shinkwin-esque mold of, uh, or Norman-type mold where you're, you're a great driver, hit the greens, you make the putts and the birdies, you know, and you find yourself on the top of a leaderboard. Um, he's done that the last couple of weeks. Um, we're getting him around 66. Is any more to share on why you're in on Porteus? So obviously, like you said, a current form. Um, for me as well, there was, there was just a couple of little things that I liked. The the return to form coincided with playing the BMW International Open. Uh, Ross Fisher, you know, famously plays incredibly well at that golf course. Uh, and he finished tied 29th there after a pretty seldom run uh, of form. Um, Austrian golf open, he finished 15th. Now, it, it, I don't think it's going to have any strong relevance to this, but um, Jeeve Milker Singh and Soren Hansen were two players that both finished inside the top 10 here uh, in 2008-2009. They both uh, played very well in Austria um, back in the day. Marcus Bria, who obviously is Austrian and won in Austria, um, also finished eighth here. So there could just be a very small link to that. And just when you look, uh, you know, where his best finishes are, it's at the BMW International Open, it's at the Austrian Golf Open. If there's anything to it, and it's a bonus. Um, we know he's got winning outside after winning on a challenge tour, you know, in 2017. Hasn't quite kicked on as to what we'd expect him to do uh, yet, but I think that's why you can still get kind of 60, 60 to 1 about him when he's gone 15th and 10th the last two events. Yep, 100%. And um, I think, you know, a golfer that I probably would have bet who withdrew, I guess he was in the initial entry list and, and is not ending up teeing up this week. Um, and that is Hugo Leone. Um, you know, Hugo has played so well. And I, you know, my dog here, Snoop hopped up on my lap as we have a, a huge storm brewing. Maybe he's just a huge Hugo fan. So I don't blame uh, Snoop doing that. So I get it confused too, because the European tour season um, is going to still extend into September and beyond for those fighting for a PGA tour card on the last week at the Wyndham championship here, we're going to have, you know, that going to the Corn Ferry tour finals. I was worried because Hugo is, you know, fighting for, you know, his status again, he's, he's somebody who is, you know, almost 200 in the rankings of the race to Dubai. So I think overall, um, hopefully Hugo continues to play in just a week off maintenance week, and then he's back. Um, one golfer that I found it very difficult to leave off. Um, we were close. He did it again. He made a ton of birdies. Schwan Kim. Schwan Kim is, is enough there. His is just not being driven by what I like to see out of the golfers. You know, I, I prefer, it come from the ball striking standpoint relative to the putter. Um, last week was better for Schwan compared to relative weeks, but I, I couldn't bet seven guys under a hundred to one and construct a card like that. Um, so I will be again, overweight when it comes to, to, to Kim, I think Sharma made some sense in that range. Um, but I guess there's, there's only one more that I want to touch on. Cause I think we've touched on three, four, five. There's one last one for me under a hundred to one. Is there anyone else for you? No, Shuan Kim was one that I was looking at. Um, and like you say, it was the irons put me off, right? We we know he's a brilliant, I've mentioned it before. He's he's you know powered by uh putting uh and his around the gate around the greens last week was uh incredible as well. So 
that's the sort of things that we do like to see as a bonus, but don't want to rely on. Um, and that's why ultimately, if he hasn't got the win in the run that he was on before, um, I don't really see the reason why he would do it this week. That's a famous last word. Um, Shabanka Sharma was the other guy that yes. I looked at. So mm-hmm. um, I, I really like him. I think that we, we know, as I said before, when we spoke about him, I think you put him up a little while ago. Um, we know the upside with Shabanka Sharma. You know, he's played well in WGCs. I don't expect to see that very often. <laughs> but, you know, he can play in these quality fields. And this is, you know, once you've got a little taste of that and you've been in that, you know, been in that um, well, arena, if you like, you you kind of want to get back and he is just going to have to get these put these events together and it's very very steady and he can just hit at any time i just didn't know quite whether it's a perfect course for him i don't know if he maybe needs something a little bit tougher but again very much guessing of what it, the course is going to be a fit this week so i don't want to completely rule someone out for that reason yeah i i think it's very fair to say he's on somebody who who made me sweat again last week of not sticking with and potentially could could be the similar um, mindset again. The one that I've sided with again because it comes from you know more I guess reliable sense of how I want to see my golfers go out and perform each week. Daniel Hillier's ball striking now two weeks in a row ha- has been incredibly strong. You know, gaining um, you know I guess in the three rounds that we had for the World Invitational seven and a half strokes last week he gained six strokes total ball striking an incredibly uh, strong amateur career just again, hasn't translated the same to podium finishes when it comes to, I would say, you know, the, the professional ranks, but his form recently, when it comes to the challenge tour and it comes now on the European tour and back-to-back weeks is enough for me to bite at this number. Um, you know, again, we mentioned Daniel Gavin's just winning two weeks ago. You know, that wasn't that, you know, much different in profile from, from Hillier, you know, Hillier was the 20th best amateur in the world, um, at his peak, you know, again, we see finishes of that third place where he had the round of the week with the 62 on that Friday. Um, and then just, you know, like everyone wasn't able to come through in the clutch when needed pretty much, um, on that Sunday, but just a steady week closing strong overall. Um, so I think 7,500 on DraftKings 70 to one, um, is enough for me relative to the other guys around him that I'm going to be betting on to round out my card in this range. Yeah, I completely agree with a lot you say there. I just, it was a case of, like you said, not having too many. Chris Paisley was someone who's been playing incredibly well, um, hitting his irons well, which is always good to see with him because we know he's got a, a, an extremely long, uh, extremely good short game. Sorry, um, what he lacks off distance of the tee, he can make up in accuracy, um, and the course should suit. I think it could be a good test for him. Um, play very well at the BMW International Open before, as, as we mentioned, uh, linking to Ross Fisher, um, and you know, there, there's certain other things that kind of link him there, but. I just couldn't take too many. I just, it feels like a, uh, a week to be light, uh, especially when, you know, you don't know too much about the golf course. I don't think we're going to, you know, we, we have very strong opinions about long shots quite often. Um, and I just find that hard this week. Yeah, I think it's very fair. And I think there just was enough value in this mid-range to find a large quantity of our bets. So I'm going to go through, I think this was well-received as we've done this, fire through golfers under 8,000. I'm just going to pick a handful for us, going to land on the couple that I want to talk about, a couple that you'll probably talk about a little bit, but just under 8K, here we go. Oliver Farr, yes or no? No. Okay. Justin Walters, yes or no? Yes. Darius Van Driel, yes or no? Yes. Ashley Chester, 7,300. Yes. Jorge Campillo, 6,900. 
I mentioned these five golfers off the top because they are the five of the golfers who had at least gaining one stroke or better last week. And they were in the wrong side of the wave. What Justin Walters did was, was quite miraculous. We'll talk one more about the other golfer who did it too. Um, but all of those golfers maybe take their finishes last week with a grain of salt because of what we, you know, know being on the wrong side of that wave, you know, a five stroke difference. That is, that is yes. massive <laughs> when it comes to the game of golf. Um, Lucas Beergard, 7,100. hundred percent. I uh, really like Lucas Beergard. I think we'll talk on him. I, I, I think he made every putt that he possibly could pretty much on Friday. Um, yeah, I mean, he was but, almost like Cameron Smith. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Not quite. But it's great to see him start the trends, whether it is, you know, driven from a short game or not. You know, he, he still did lose strokes tee to green last week, um, mainly because his off the tee wasn't good, but his iron started to show that flash you got. Peak Beardard yeah. was just the best. Yeah, I mean, he's 17th in the field last week in strokes gain approach, which is which is huge. I think I kind of just spoke about it on the podcast is I wondered how he was going to react to shooting a 62. But, you know, a lot of golfers struggled to go and back up a 10 under round. He had to back up a 10 under round that was fueled by 200 feet worth of putts. And he's not been in that situation for a long time. And I think he kind of probably didn't expect it to happen. I think he was probably fighting his way back, but kind of maybe thought of another middling finish all of a sudden he's in contention to win and he's probably one of the guys that you'd expect to win when he gets into that area. So I think that he probably felt a lot of that, um, struggled on the, on the Saturday, um, unsurprisingly, and then didn't really do anything on the Sunday either. But I think there's enough in that confidence just to say, look, I can do it again. Now I can strike the ball well enough. I've, I don't suppose he looks at his own stats in, in the way that we do, but he's top 20 in the field in his iron play. Um, he's, you know, he's off the tee game he used to help him out an awful lot. You know, it was it was something that he powered his way to the top with. So um I, I do think is it's volatile. So, you know, it is hard to to put him in there and secure a team that way. But I think he has a lot of winning upside. Um even even betting, I think at 125 to one, I think it was 175 to one last week. So I don't think they've taken a huge chunk out of the fact that he's he was really impressive. Yep. Absolutely. Um, let's go back to our one word answers as we continue on here. Okay. Um, let's see Ross Fisher. Yes. Okay. Um, cause we're going to stretch. I'm going to get us into, um, the six K's now Bryce Easton. No. Niall Kearney. Yes. Let's go. Julian Surrey. Always want to say yes, but I'm going to say no. I do like Siri normally. Um, Barry Henson. Yeah, see, I was going to bring him up. I don't know. It's not one word answer. I was going to bring him up, but I think we kind of know what he is. I think it. No, it is. See, I, I'm going to talk now. I say yes. I say yes. So, again, at some point, I understand that that small sample sizes are incredibly, you know, unpredictable, but. In the game of golf, I think there is something when it comes to a motivation, a feel, a, a you know, a strong sense that you close out a, a big week and you can carry over some of that. I mean, Barry Henson's ball striking last week, led by that round he had on Thursday out in the bad side of the wave. I mean, that was the round of the week, whether it was the score or not, you know, the way he played and was able to finish, you know, through the bad side of the wave. Funny thing enough, 
Like Besseling, Barry Henson was in the bad side of the wave as well the previous week. Um, so he's now two weeks in a row seen the tough side of it, putting up basically starting his tournaments plus three and plus five and say, OK, good luck. You know, that's really what he's been faced with. Um, and, you know, he made that first cut law, missed the secondary cut, and then he finishes like he does last week. So I think there's enough there for me to play on DraftKings at sixty seven hundred dollars. Um, but, you know, betting. I'm going to side with one more long shot here. So let's uh, keep going down. Elvaro Kiros. Yes. Um, Gangajit Bular. No. Yikun Cheng. Yes. Toby Tree. Yes. That's mine. Okay, here we go. Yes. So, so Toby Tree literally fits the, the mold of all these golfers we've talked about. Toby Tree is excellent off the tee. He's, he's rather long. And recently, he's found himself the last three events being very high on the rankings of birdies or better. He's no Schwan Kim, but he is quite um, you know close when it comes to some of those recent uh, birdies and better. And we're finding him, you know, plus, you know, three, 300 to one and higher. So I think Toby tree, $6,400 enough for him. And Toby tree has a background, um, you know, where he, did you guys interview Toby? We did. We did. Okay. So you could probably share a little bit more on his background, but an incredibly talented kid who, um, you know, has had amateur victories who found himself kind of injury riddled shoulder problems as of recent, but has a lot of talent in his game and a, a flash from him, uh, I really like to get on before, you know, we might see it again at these odds. We, we kind of discussed with him and it was like, we basically posed a question without trying to be too harsh to him is that you've just spent your whole amateur career winning everything. You know, he won at every level that he could possibly win at, um, beat an awful, awful lot of guys. Um, you know, Hayden Porces was a guy he beat quite often. He used to share a room with him uh, when he used to go down to South Africa. He loves going to South Africa at the end of the year. When you get to South Africa, just bet him because he he spends his winters down there, get works on his games. I think with Toby Tree, it is a I think he's got a skill set off the tee, and sometimes it's hard to rein in. I think when you he's maybe just been chasing distance, maybe through the lockdown found it. Um, I think he's also someone that has to rededicate rededicate himself all over again, plenty of times throughout the season. I think he's a guy that gets to any 30th place finishes and thinks. I'm still not quite good enough. And then last week, he had a really, really good week. 16th is his best finish of the, of the season. Um, was fueled a little bit by, you know, holding one. Um, but he had played well. That, that made up for kind of a double bogey he had on the card earlier in the earlier in the round. And, you know, we know the upside with him. Like, there, there is a massive, massive upside with him. He's a huge, hugely talented player. He talked about, you know, you can't go back to the interview on lots of words. He talked about getting that European tour card. Um, for the first time and going through qualifying and he literally had to make a par down the last and he was still thinking about hitting a three wood um, into the green and his like caddy was like you could literally just hit three log wedges make par and get out of it um, you know that so that's what I think it is I think he's a guy that because he's so talented I imagine he quite likes to show off um, he you know he knows he's got all the game to do it and probably just needs to be reined in um, he's still, he's not young, but he's still young in his career that I think there's a lot of progression coming and I can see him really taking off. Like you said, being on early is certainly the way to go. 
Yep. And agree. My, my good friend Jude Delo is a huge Toby Tree fan as well. So I know Jude always backs him, always in South Africa too. Uh, but excited to see what he showed last week. Keep it going. Um, I'll just run through a couple other golfers whose names stood out. Jack Cope is teeing it up this week. Normal Skyler would back a top 20 amateur in the world, making his professional, I think it's professional debut, um, or he might have had an amateur spot. I'm going to pass this week. I'm going to let this one go. Laird Shepard, who is playing again this week, you know, didn't do so well last week. So there was also, um, I think it's Frank Kennedy. Did you see this last week? Frank Kennedy was the other who had an amateur start. He's 15 years old, made the cut on the number last week on the European tour, shot a birdie free or bogey free, I think 68. I think it was four under on Sunday. Um, so keep an eye out for old Frank Kennedy um, as he makes it. I'm going to see if where's he's ranked. I don't even think he was ranked in. I think he's technically considered a junior um, still when it comes to that. But Kennedy played quite outstanding for uh, a 15 year old against some of the yeah. best in the world. Um, so we keep on going down the list. Matthew Baldwin found his way into a few of my lineups last week. He had led the field in ball striking at the World Invitational the week before, although he missed the cut. Uh, and he came out on Thursday, and I think he shot like two over par. And on Friday was five under par. Saved my week um, with some of the lineups he had. So Matt Baldwin, $6,300. Another one that stands out to me. And then um, our old friend Lars Van Nihil was another golfer who down here had a strong finish outside of the uh, strong wave. So I think that, you know, when you're looking for golfers to differentiate, he probably makes sense as somebody down here. Um, but I think we're going to end it on that one, Tom. I think we've covered a third of the field pretty much right about, which is impressive for us in 45 minutes. Um, but can you go back through your card for us and who you're on for the week? Yep. So it's Chase Hannah for me again. I do think it's going to happen uh, and it's going to happen very soon. Uh, David Law, again, both of those guys with you. Garrett Porteous, again, with yourself there. Um, and yeah, I just I just really like those guys. I think there's an awful lot of value in them. So I'm pretty happy to pick those. Absolutely. Like we said, Chase Hanna, 50 to 1. David Law, 50 to 1. I'm adding Will Besseling at 50 to 1 right there as well. Callum Shinkwin, 55 to 1 for me. Garrick Portillas, as mentioned, 66s. And then Daniel Hillier, 70 to 1. Toby Tree, is as long as 320 to 1, I saw. We'll probably get a top 10 with that. Always posting our cards at the end of the week. Tom, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, yes, I'm at Tom Jacobs 93 on Twitter. I'm just going to be that guy who just puts one last name out there. Alejandro Canazares is hitting the ball well again. Um, and I think he could be a uh, play on DraftKings. But yes, um, Tom Jacobs 93 on Twitter. Um, I'll be there all week, uh, every week. So uh, yes, hit me up. Perfect. Well, you rest up this week. Hope you uh, are all good with everything. Enjoy the golf. Fire off some tweets. If you're, if you're hanging at home, man, let's get yeah, that Twitter popping. Tom it. Jacobs 93. You can find me at Skyhook DFS. Thank you all for the support as always. And best of luck this week, everybody.